edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. And on this edition of our podcast, we'll continue our series of talking to new head coaches around the country. This week, I'm joined by Vanderbilt's Jerry Stackhouse, of course, an illustrious career in North Carolina and in the NBA, and then an assistant coach with the Raptors, a head coach with the Raptors GD League team, an assistant coach with Memphis. Now he's a head coach in the SEC. Steve Alford will also join me. He's now the new head coach of Nevada after Eric Musselman went from Nevada to Arkansas. If you remember, Alford was let go right around New Year's Eve from UCLA. Spent the winter sort of assessing a situation. Joined me next to me uh, and Tony Delk and Adam Lefko uh, when we covered uh, March Mattis the first weekend for a couple of days doing our show there, Fast Break, down in Atlanta. And he ends up back in the Mountain West where he coached against Nevada at least for one season when he was the head coach in New Mexico. And then the back end of the podcast is going to be joined by a good friend of mine, Adam Zagoria, who does a lot of national recruiting coverage because it is in the middle of the spring recruiting period. Also covers the Northeast pretty well for the New York Times as well as his blog, Zags Blogs, because there's a new head coach at St. John's. And uh, Mike Anderson will certainly be joining me in some form on one of our March Madness media platforms. Um, he is the new head coach at St. John's. And I will tell you that this move by some was criticized because he was a little out of the box because he hadn't fit. Well, you know, he was at Missouri. He was previously at UAB. He was obviously directly just at Arkansas, was a longtime Arkansas assistant to Nolan Richardson. What does he know about the Northeast and St. John's? Well, first of all, let's just debunk that because if you can coach, you can coach. I don't care where you are. If you can recruit, you can recruit. Now, do you need someone on your staff that's got local ties? Of course. Uh, although I will tell you, Arkansas had recruited well in the Northeast under Nolan Richardson and Mike Anderson. Pat Bradley from Massachusetts still lives in the area, works with the SEC Network. Kareem Reed from New York played at Arkansas. So it's not crazy that Arkansas you know, ties to the Northeast because it has happened in the past. But I will tell you this. Yes, St. John's flirted with others just like UCLA did. And we had Mick Cronin on last week. But ultimately, it matters who you ultimately get and if that coach fits and does he work his tail off and can he deliver a different kind of system for you that makes you attraction uh, attractive. And I will say this, that I think Mike does that. St. John's needed to differentiate itself. And I'm hopeful for St. John's, I should say, that I think he can do that. If he can get his players, doesn't have to be all-American type stars, but his type of players to create havoc, to push tempo, to get right in your grill, I think the fans in Queens and in the city will love it. And what you want to have happen in the Big East is you want other coaches to say, ooh, boy, we got to play St. John's tomorrow. That is not an easy prep. I'm not saying Mike Anderson will do for St. John's what Tony Bennett did for Virginia. But Tony was a bit of an out-of-the-box hire. Yes, he played in Charlotte in the NBA, and he was from Wisconsin, playing at Green Bay, but he was coming from Washington State. And coming from Washington State to the ACC, people are like, whoa, that seems very odd. Ben Howland, yes, he was from Santa Barbara, but he went from Pitt to UCLA. And they ultimately go to three straight Final Fours. So I know he was from the state of California in terms of, yes, he played in the state of Utah, 
but he had coached at UCSB under Jerry Pym. So he had those California ties. I know that. But it, his most recent stop was nowhere near California. Tony Bennett's most recent stop was nowhere near Virginia. So it can work. And I think we had to give Mike the benefit of the doubt. So interesting interviews here in the offseason. And I want you to I want to get to them because I want you to hear from Stackhouse, from Alford, and then we're going to talk a little recruiting and a little St. John's with Adam Zagoria. So here we go. Coming up next, Jerry Stackhouse. And joining me here now on March Madness 365, the new head coach at Vanderbilt, Jerry Stackhouse. Very familiar name to pretty much anyone who's been following the sport of basketball over the last 20 years. Uh, High profile, excellent career at North Carolina, an extensive NBA career, uh, and then a pretty solid coaching career before landing the Vanderbilt gig. And uh, Jerry, let's first, a lot to sort of unpack here over the next few minutes. Um, What initially appealed to you about not just Vanderbilt, but coaching in college basketball because you had been on that path of potentially becoming an NBA head coach. Well, no, I just think that was where my path kind of led from, you know, my playing career. I said I played in the pros for a long time, so I had a lot of relationships there. But uh, toward the end of my playing career, I got involved with grassroots basketball, and I uh, working, you know, through Adidas Grassroots and had my own AAU team. So I was able to, you know, kind of touch these kids before they went to college, and then uh, some of those same kids that I had as um, grassroots started to matriculate into the NBA. So I've pretty much been involved with, with these kids for probably, probably 2010, 2011. But um, I wasn't really, you know, really intrigued with, you know, coaching in the college game because I, that's what, you, you know, you kind of trend toward what you you know latest. And the latest what I know has been the pro game. But to me, still basketball is still teaching. That's the part of it that I enjoy the most, just watching guys you know have a better understanding of the game and and using that to and their talent to be able to become really good basketball players so um it's just about relationships with anything and and the the fact that i had a relationship with malcolm turner who who took the job as the ad here and just like he was sought out for this job and to kind of take them to the next level to see what their ceiling could be here Uh, he sought me out to become the person to help help lead that from him working with me uh, at the the G League level. And obviously I saw the things that he was able to do as far as growing that league and uh, from where it was to where it is right now. So it was just kind of, just kind of fit. I don't know if there's a lot of the college situations that I would have been as, as intrigued about, but uh, this was one that I was definitely caught my attention. And and I'm here to try to help his vision and, and, and continue to, do what I love and that's, you know, be close to the game and then teach it. Yeah, Jerry, I mean, clearly the natural job is not open. That is North Carolina, your alma mater. So as you were even considering the college game, I mean, were there parts of the country? Were there schools you were like, you know what? I'm not saying for you to name, you know, jobs that are currently being held, but were there other schools that you thought about, you know, potentially if an opening did occur or, were you just sort of waiting to see if the right one did pop? And clearly this one did because of the relationship. Yeah, I think that's really how it turned out. Man. I wasn't really um, targeting a lot of, you know, any college jobs for that matter. Obviously, North Carolina's my alma mater. and be able to follow in coach, you know, Dean Smith's footsteps and go back there and coach 
uh, obviously that's like a dream come true to be able to go back to my home state, North Carolina, where I grew up. But other than that, honestly, it really wasn't, um, you know, so it had, I've been approached about, you know, why not, you know, you thought about college, you thought about college, and I'm just kind of like, you know, I'm more of a pro guy because I, I, there was something about the fact of, you know, you, you work with guys for three hours and then you're dealing with men and then they go home. And you don't have to do the kind of, you know, all of the, the babysitting and some of the stuff that comes along with, you know, with this. But when you think about it, I really – had the most fun and I enjoyed it the most when I was dealing with those kids at the, at the grassroots level. You know what I'm saying? You can really make an impression on them and you can able to, you can get to them before they build a lot of bad habits. And that's what I see on the other side. You know, a lot of times, you know, these kids, when, when they go to college, they just, instead of kind of developing their game, it's more catered to the system there that they're in. Um, they develop habits that don't necessarily translate to the pro game. So, so hopefully, you know, from my my background of being in the program, then some of the things that we're going to do uh, will kind of help the guys that have that ability to play at that next level. Hope that will kind of assist in their transition and making it a little more seamless than it has been for some. So what I love is you very much like Patrick Ewing, you've put in the hard work. You know, you've been an assistant. You've been sort of in the shadows, if you will, learning how to become a potential head coach. You have been a head coach, successful one at the G D League level uh, with the Raptors, you know, because I think there's there's this perception out there that, oh, you know, NBA All-Star, NBA veteran would just, oh, OK, I'll coach. I'll go pick up a, a whiteboard and everything should be fine. Um, what did you need to learn as an assistant, even in, in uh, the stint as a head coach, you know, at the D G League level that you may not have known had you just sort of retired and then said, yeah, you know what, I'll go be a head coach? Oh, yeah, but I just think it, you know, it starts about just, you know, how you see the game first off. Uh, I think you see it one way as a player and then you see it kind of differently as a coach when you're on the sideline and you're kind of responsible of, uh, of seeing everything, seeing the whole uh, the whole picture, not only just the offense, but you got to see the defense and kind of see what adjustments they're making, different things that, that they're doing to you as well. But I just think going back to all the, all these steps, like you said, they were part of my progression of, of getting here, and, and you know, just learning the you know situations. You know, I think the G League was great for just being able to you know see different situations, um, able to try things and, and, and kind of form a game plan, a blueprint of how how best to do it. And so it was invaluable from that standpoint. But, I, you know, it was just one of those things, man, where I, I knew that I, I loved the fact of seeing kids get it, you know, seeing them get better and, and seeing that, that light bulb kind of kind of flick on and, okay, now I understand why we're doing this. I understand, you know, what's asking me, and now, now it's up to me to consistently do my job. And when I consistently do my job, we, we, we tend to have success. So I think from just just that alone kind of drove me to – um, you know, not try to skip steps and, and understanding, like, you know, you can't just for forget my 18 years of playing either. I'd be a fool not to be able to sit and watch the, the watch coaches, watch the coaches that I've had because I was, you know, the best player on a lot of those teams. So I had to have a good relationship with my head coach. I had to have a good relationship and understanding of how the assistants worked, um, you know, as, you know, as it relates to players and kind of their dynamic as opposed to, 
the head coach's dynamic of, you know, like the head coach is really the one that only wants to come in with a bad attitude. You know, the assistant coaches need to come in with a positive attitude and trying to, you know, keep guys up. So I think people lose credit like you've only been coaching, you know, a certain amount of years. I've been in the NBA for almost 20, played almost 20. So, you know, I think sometimes, you know, people lose sight of the fact that I've, you know, got a lot of experience of, of being around coaching and being around the game of basketball that should should count for something as well. But, you know, the bias is out there, especially against former players that they feel like they wanted to skip steps and do anything. So I didn't mind taking a step back to, to really be able to take a couple steps forward. So it, it worked out for me and hopefully that some, some more guys who have the capability and the talent to, to have the game by, by coaching it can use that blueprint as well. Jerry, you, you have been a winner everywhere at every level. This is a team that's going to rebuild. Uh, obviously did not win a game in the SEC last season. So at least in the short term, there will be some losses. Uh, that's natural. Um, how do you think you'll handle that aspect when you've got to go through some of that adversity, at least earlier, uh, as you're building this program? Well, yeah, I mean, that's where I, you know, I didn't really kind of count too much about what happened before me. I mean, I think if I came in, you know, taking my job as a G League coach and looked at the, the year that they had before that, and, um, you know, then I probably, my outlook probably wouldn't have been what it was. I came in with the outlook of, um, you know, which uh, everything else is behind you. Let's just try to build and see what we can can do going forward, and nothing is going to change with that. Um, I just think it's uh, the way is a formula that that I believe in, and I'm going to try to come in, and I've had success with it at every level. Uh, so I, you know, I'm anticipating that not not changing too much now. You know, not to say that we're going to come in and win the SEC or you know go, go to the Final Four, but I have probably more expectations and um, uh, higher goals are set than probably most anybody else probably would have for us. What do you attribute to your ability to to stay healthy for so long to play for nearly 20 years in the league? I mean, just loving to play, man, taking care of my body, eating, eating great. Uh, I think that's, that has a lot to do with your diet, things like that. I'm still kind of at my same playing weight, probably a couple pounds less than what I, what I actually played at, so you know, dad and jeans, man. I got to give my mom and daddy credit. My mom, she turned ninety in in, in May twelfth, and my dad will be eighty nine on May tenth. So, you know, I, I, better, I guess I better give them some of the credit for <laughs> being able to keep my metabolism the way it is. Two last things here, um, Jerry. One is, you know, the better question is who isn't declaring for the NBA draft because everyone essentially is. Um, You've experienced this. You've been in the league for a long time. We know the rules have changed, so it doesn't hurt you to to go through it, to go through the process as long as you get the right advice in return when you know you have no shot of getting drafted. I'm talking probably for the most of these guys, but um, you can speak from experience. What is that transition like that maybe some of these players are going to get a little bit of a rude awakening when they go through the process to realize there is a pretty big jump from where you are in college to potentially being on an NBA roster? Yeah, man, I mean, it's, it's definitely a, a daunting task to be able to try to go from this level of maybe, maybe a year of college and, and going in and playing against men, you know, guys that are playing for keeps who definitely um, the camaraderie that you have at the college level, and, you know, you don't really get that because you got people that are 
focused on their livelihood and knowing that you're coming in as a threat to their livelihood. So I think these guys got to make sure that they're ready, they're prepared, and, you know, kind of listen to, you know, what these, you know, some of these analysts and different people are saying about where you're going to get drafted. I feel like if you're not a lottery pick or possibly in the first round, then then why do it to yourself? I mean, so many guys get, you know, lost by the wayside and never – and are never able to to reach their potential or, or their goal of, of making it to that next level because they just come out too soon. But there's guys that are you know that are capable and ready to um, to contribute and, and and take that jump. And, and I would encourage them to do so. If there was a guy that I knew that was a, you know calling around to our contacts and people that we know in the league and say this kid is a lottery pick, man, by all means, then you you should go because there's probably nothing that you can do to to, to help your your stock but probably uh, worsen it by having them pick holes at your game and different things like that. So I would encourage that. But guys that are on that bubble, we're talking about second-round picks that possibly not getting drafted, then I would encourage them to come back to school and, and try to let us help you work on your game and, and be able to uh, be, be ready and a little bit more prepared the, the next time that, uh, that the opportunity comes around. And, and lastly, Jerry, your roster. Um, you know, obviously earlier in the season, Darius Garland got hurt left um you know there was a lot of uh, question about the sort of the fluidness of this roster where does it stand right now about who you know for sure is back with you uh from the current roster well yeah i mean aaron naismith is a kid that i've been able to get in the gym a little bit i love what he brings to the table um saving lee as uh, another kid talented guard that, that we have and you know those those are a couple of good starting pieces for us uh, we got you know scotty pippen jr Dylan DeSue, a couple of kids that are coming in as, you know, high school seniors next year that still wanted to be a part of a program. Obviously, there were some guys that, you know, jumped in the portal. And, you know, and I'm just committed to the guys that want to be here. Uh, I understand that, you know, there's a lot of different factors going to that. So I didn't try to overthink it. I just was, you know, when I was able to sit here and, and talk with the guys, you know, for the first time, all of them was, you know, I didn't, I didn't feel like they were beaten down by what happened last year. You know, sometimes it's just, just a tough go. And so we hopefully they just look at that as an aberration and, and they're ready to go to work and try to, you know, get this thing back on track. You know, it's just as kind of as tough as the season was last year. You know, if they come in and focus and have the, the right approach, you know, I think they could, you know, make a big jump and, and, and do something special right within this first year. So I think they uh, they trust that. They trust the things that, that, that we're going to do to try to help them um, reach some of those goals, and, and we'll see what happens. Well, Jerry, it's great to have you in the college game. I know we will be chatting throughout. Um, it's what I do and love doing, and uh, it's great to just have you be back uh, and a part of this. Uh, you know, I mean, basically, I'm a few years older than you, but I, I got my start right <laughs> when you were, you know, getting to Carolina. So it's great to bookend uh, now that you're back in the college game. So um, we're thrilled that you're back. Thank you. No doubt, man. I watched you close, man. I'm a fan, so looking forward to chatting with you for sure. And up next here on March Madness 365, Steve Alford. He's bounced from Iowa to New Mexico to UCLA, and now the new head coach at Nevada. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, new Nevada head coach Steve Alford. And Steve, it feels like it was just a couple of days ago, uh, yet it was a couple of weeks ago, that we were sitting next to each other in Atlanta uh, discussing uh, the NCAA tournament. And now here you are in Reno. Uh, how did this all transpire? 
Well, as you know, I talked to you a little bit about it, not much because we were busy with the tournament. But um, I was, I was going to be obviously selective, but just wanted to get back in if given the opportunity and given the right opportunity to uh, get back in sooner or later because I'd already had the three months um, away from it um, being a, a, a mid-year fire. So it's a little different than when it happens in the spring and you end up – pretty much sitting out a year so i'd already missed half the year so was just excited to get back in it and uh when nevada came calling and started looking into it and everything about it um it just seemed like a really really good fit you obviously were very familiar with nevada when you were in new mexico uh but the job had changed because eric musselman you know had taken them to another level with the martin twins jordan caroline adding someone like jordan brown uh in terms of that kind of a level recruit they get to the Sweet 16. They're highly ranked. Um, so things had, trans- had changed. And, you know, I saw the facilities when I was up there earlier this past season. Now that you're on the ground, how much have you seen it change from when you were there as an opposing coach, which was years ago at New Mexico versus now? Yeah, in just one year, because uh, when I was, it was last time I was in the Mountain West in New Mexico, Nevada had just came in in my final year at New Mexico. So I think we'd only been up here one time so obviously very nice arena uh we draw 10 11 000 every night so you've got incredible support and um and the facility the facilities have changed new practice uh new practice uh, floor and arena um and we're redoing actually kind of going through things of just with the architects and we'll have a new locker room for the players by October. So a lot of things that um, I think have transpired since when they just entered the uh, Mountain West. And obviously they've had some very, very good success and, and the program has been top 25 for last couple of years. So obviously the oldest team in the country last year, as far as age and experience. So we lost a lot of that. So a lot of new guys are going to get an opportunity this year. You know, Steve, I'm thinking back to all your spots and it, it feels like, you either were there before new facilities or you got there and new facilities came and then, you know, you moved on. And, uh, you know, whether it was the new one at New Mexico, the new one at UCLA, I don't think they had as much at Iowa. You correct me if I'm wrong in terms of anything new at that time. But, um, you know, you've gone through this before. What is it about the newness, the freshness of when a place gets better facilities uh, that really helps change the direction of that program well it just gives it energy it it gives us i think it gives you even more purpose um and just energy to the program and they've had success here so i give the administration credit and they've worked hard to continue to enhance what basketball looks like uh, at nevada and now that the practice court is outstanding uh weight room new weight room outstanding and now we're on the front ends of, of building the locker room and i was fortunate enough to get in on those uh the drawings of that right when i got hired so it is my third one you know we didn't have one at uh, iowa um and so now they've got a very nice one but it wasn't there when i was there so when we got to new mexico um they'd had a practice court but as far as weight room locker rooms uh, that kind of training room facilities we were able to do. And then, obviously, at UCLA, we didn't have anything until my final year, and I was able to, um, you know, be a part of that, of building that whole thing. So th- those things have been fun. I just think it, it brings a lot of energy to what you're doing. And, you're, and I think players see it. Players see that there's a, 
um, there's a concern for their well-being as well, and it just makes everything a little bit better. All right, so this stage in your life, I'm trying to remember, uh, if I'm not mistaken, everyone's out of the house. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah, empty nest. So for you and Tanya, what's this like? I mean, this is now not a family move necessarily where you got to look at school system and all that. Right, exactly. You know, like this is a different stage of life. What's What was that decision like in terms of, just you and Tanya being the main people you got to worry about, about, okay, is this right for us? Right. And that's exactly right, Andy. The stage we're in now, all of our other moves, we've had to worry about school systems, uh, where we live and, and those type of things and a lot that goes into it. And um, this was really about where it was going to be a good fit for us. And obviously family, uh, our children are still a big, big part of it and uh, will always be a big part of it. But uh, I think that's something that really re- impressed us about the, the Reno Tahoe area. It's um, obviously a beautiful area and uh, the people have just been outstanding. So we just wanted to be, you know, back in a college town that uh, we could be a part of it and get involved in the community with a lot of different projects because now we're not going to high school basketball games with your kids and AAU functions with your kids and that kind of thing. We've got time to really jump into a community uh, with a lot of different projects and, and we're excited about that. So any chance, uh, I mean, I know Corey was on, he was the one that was on UCLA staff, right? Yeah, Corey, yeah, Corey will be coming here with okay. me. Um, um, and so he'll be, he'll be joining me here and, and Bryce is still playing and Kayla, Kayla's finishing up at uh, Cal Luther and she'll be a senior there. Uh, I'm trying to remember, where's Bryce playing right now? He just finished his second year with OKC Blue, the G League affiliate of OKC. Oh, that's right. That's right. All right, so this roster, a little bit of a, you know, fluid situation. Um, Jazz Johnson, I saw recommitted. Right. Loved Jazz Johnson last season. I thought he was great energy for Musselman's crew. Um, so that's a huge plus. What else have you, what else has transpired over the last week that, uh, in terms of the roster situation? Well, you know, we got Naz. Um, Naz is a very, very good shooter. Um so, you know, I think I like what our, you know, our backcourt, we've got some age and uh, a little bit of experience there. You know, Jazz, I, I give Jazz a hard time because we played them 31-5 and five team we had at um, UCLA. We played him down in Anaheim, and we beat his Portland team, but he had – he dropped 25 on us. So Jazz and I already have a history. So that's good that we're now on the same team. But Lindsey Drew was, uh, was injured a lot last year, and uh, now he's back. Uh, and I think from a, a point guard standpoint, uh, really understands how to play the game. He's strong. He's big. Um, we just got uh, Jalen Harris back, which is uh, that's exciting because I think he's, uh, he's somebody who can play all three guard positions, very athletic. Uh, can score the ball. Uh, Parrish, Eric Parrish is a junior college kid that will be joining us uh, here this summer. And he and Shamil give us uh, two guys that are very versatile, big, strong, uh, athletic kids at 6'6". Six, six I like the versatility in this team. Himes, 6'10", kid that redshirted last year, uh, athletic that gives us, um, you know, somebody up front. And, and then uh, obviously we're waiting on, to hear about Jordan, whether Jordan's coming back or not, because that's a big piece to what we're doing up front. You know, Steve, the other thing I was just want to run by you real quick, you and Mike Anderson are probably the biggest names of coaches who were able to bounce back right after being let go. Um, I mean, I know yours was a few months, but in terms of right after season ended for the most part. And so I think it's a great credit to obviously your record, your past, uh, 
you didn't have to worry about sort of the long sit out over a long year. What is it you think that that you think that you've been able to prove? And like I said, we've seen it with Mike Anderson that, you know, it's enticing to a new school and say, you know what? This coach can deliver regardless of what happened in the past uh, or the recent past. And he's the right fit for us. Well, you know, I, I, you do have to look for fit. And uh, Doug Muth was terrific. The AD here, I'm very excited to work for him and um, gotten off to a really good start just with building that relationship and just the people. I, you know, I think the people here have been outstanding. And uh, so you do look for that right fit. Um, with me, you know, just 28 years in the business. And, you know, I think the things I'm most proud of is, you know, the majority of our guys graduate, the majority of our guys uh, stay in touch with us and we help them. Them post-graduation and tries in terms of networking and whether it's moving on you know I've coached my share of pros over 25 pros in the NBA so it's uh, I've had that experience but there's a vast majority of them that don't play so how are those guys taken care of and you know I hope that our staff has done a very good job with that so I think having a clean record compliance wise a clean record academic wise uh, and then having our fair share of success we've had uh, I think pretty good success at all of our stops. And this is stop number six. I've had five stops and we've won, we've won NCAA games at all five stops. So I'm hoping this is uh stop number six. We can do the same thing. Although it will be a little weird when you go to the pit, I'm sure. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, that is, uh, and it's, yeah, you know, it's, um, it's one of those things I, I had just an amazing six years there. And I, again, uh, very similar, you know, dry desert, basically a mile high. Uh, we're obviously further north here in Reno than what we are in Albuquerque, but a lot of the, a lot of the same, you know, I think same, just great people, hardworking people, prideful people that just, they, they want to be entertained by a group of, of guys that are just going to give everything they got and do things the right way. And, uh, but a lot of it from the terrain and everything else being high desert, very, very similar. So I uh, had a great experience and walking down that ramp, not being, on the New Mexico sideline will be uh, a little bit different, but obviously uh, cherish my six years there. Awesome that you're right back in it, Steve. Uh, just, uh, you know, it'd be great to have you back, obviously, um, on the national scene and get Nevada back where it's been over the last couple of years. Well, I appreciate it. I, you know, I gave that I gave that media thing a, a whiz, but, you know, I saw how prepared you are. You just, you're, you've set the bar so high that it's just it's a tough – it's a much tougher gig than what I thought it was going to be. Well, it's just somehow in my head, and i got to spit it out after that. <laughs> well, I appreciate it, Andy. And coming up here on March Madness 365, Adam Zagoria, who covers recruiting and a lot of the New York City basketball for his own blog, zagsblog.com, as well as being a contributor for the New York Times. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Adam Zagoria, the owner and creator of ZagsBlog.com, as well as a contributor to the New York Times. Uh, Adam covers all things college basketball, a friend and colleague, see him all over the country. Uh, A couple quick things I want to deal with Adam here on our podcast this week. First, the hiring of Mike Anderson at St. John's. And then because we're in the throes of the spring recruiting period, a couple of the top recruits that have either already committed or going to recruit or commit to some of the top schools in the country. First, let's deal with Mike Anderson, uh, who has had great success at Arkansas, but not enough at Arkansas, got relieved of his duties there, uh, has coached at Missouri, where he was successful, UAB, years ago, had a good run there. Uh, You know, clearly not a great maybe fit in terms of geography, but he is a good coach, and he plays a very unique style 
that certainly could cause some waves within the Big East if he gets the right players. What did you think of the hire? Yeah, hi, Andy. Thanks for having me on. I mean, first of all, uh, it was a little bit of a topsy-turvy, you know, week to 10 days for St. John's there. I think everybody thought they were going to target, you know, Bobby Hurley is a Jersey City guy from Arizona State. You know, it doesn't sound like they really had enough money to persuade Bobby to come. Um, Iona's Tim Kloos was talked about a lot. Of course, he played at St. John's. He's a local guy at Iona. He's coached in six of the last nine NCAA tournaments. Um, so after those guys, you know, then it went to a bunch of names that people I don't think thought were really good fits, like Porter Moser. Um, he turned it down. Ryan Odom from UMBC was in the mix. He said, no, thanks. And then sort of in the middle of last week, they had a few guys on campus, including Mike Anderson. And, um, you know, it happened very quickly. And then by Thursday night, uh, you know, they had chosen Mike Anderson as their coach. You know, it doesn't seem like an intuitive fit. He's not from New York. He doesn't really have any connections here. But like you said, he's a great coach. Everybody says he runs a clean program. He said at his press conference he's going to play a very fast, up-tempo style. And I think two things will be key for him, Andy. One, he's going to have to keep, you know, the core of guys they have. If he can keep LJ Figueroa, Mustafa Heron, they have a couple other key transfers there, Eli Wright, uh, a big kid, Ian Steer from NC State. Keep those guys intact. You have a core of five or six, you know, really good players, and then you add some players. And then second of all, Andy, he's going to have to, you know, assemble a staff that has at least, I would think, one you know, New York AAU high school type guy. Maybe it's Andy Borman from the Rens, who's Coach K's son-in-law, somebody like that to attract the local talent. So you've covered New York City basketball for a long time. And I, I qualify saying if, if, if he gets the right guys there, uh, how much do you think this would play in New York if it ends up being the 40 minutes of hell that was popular, obviously at Arkansas and it's up and down and it's got people out of their seats at the garden or at Carnesecca. Yeah. I mean, I think people are you know generally attracted to up-tempo styles of basketball, you know, a lot of transition baskets, transition, transition dunks, high scoring games. He said at his press conference on Friday, Andy, that, you know, they were going to press the other team as soon as they got off the bus. So I think people will like that. Um, he's going to have to, you know, you know, he may not recruit a lot of high profile five star type guys, but more maybe some, you know, some junior college guys, just athletes who can get up and down the court. And I think the vibe from the, you know, the top level New York City high school and the AAU guys is they're on board, you know, they're excited about it. You know, you have to win over the Christ the King coach, the Archbishop Stepanak coach. Uh, Bishop Lachlan, you know, the top AAU programs, and there'll be a honeymoon period for a while, um, and he's going to have to, you know, cultivate his relationships with those programs. And I do also think that if you have a unique style and it's successful, then everyone in the Big East knows, okay, when we play St. John's, you know, we're in for a track meet or something that makes them stand out, uh, you know, among the group of 10, uh, and I think that certainly will help. All right, let's shift to some of the recruiting here. I know you've seen a lot of these guys in person. We're going to be talking about a lot of these players in the fall. So I'm just going to run down a couple of lists, a couple of names here, and get your impressions of what kind of impact you think they'll have next season in college basketball. We'll start with James Weissman, who's going to Memphis to play for Penny Hardaway. Yeah, I saw James Weissman, um, you know, at the McDonald's game, practices at the games. Um, first of all, he's he's currently the projected 
number one pick in the 2020 draft. Andy, according to our friend Jonathan Gavoni at ESPN, you know, seven foot one, you know, left-hander, can shoot it from three, gets up and down the court. He looks like what a modern-day NBA big man looks like. You know, again, shoots it, stretches the floor, gets up and down the court. The questions about him are his work ethic and consistency and can he bring it on every possession. Um, and if he if he can do that and cultivate that at Memphis, you know, he'll probably be the number one pick a year from now. And there's a lot of excitement around the Memphis team. You know, I talk to a lot of these kids. There's a lot of excitement about Penny and they have, uh, you know, NBA guys on the staff with Mike Miller. They're involved for a bunch of the uncommitted guys, Precious Achua, Trendon Watford. So there's a lot of buzz around Wiseman and Memphis right now. Second player, according to a lot of these rankings, going to another team that wasn't in the NCAA tournament this past season, and that's Anthony Edwards at Georgia. What'd you think? Yeah, he's like a really physically thick, you know, stocky kind of, you know, strong 6'5 shooting guard wing who is from um, Holy Spirit Prep in Georgia. He's going to stay home in Georgia and play for Tom Crean. I believe it's the highest um, rated recruit I think Tom Crean has ever gotten. He's also the projected number two pick in the 2020 draft per, per ESPN. So, you know, it's going to be one of those deals, Andy, where if Georgia doesn't make the tournament next year, it'll kind of be a situation like a um, Markel Fultz thing or a Ben Simmons thing where the, you know, top two player in the class doesn't make the tournament. So there'll be a lot of pressure on Tom Queen and Georgia, I would think, to make it. Yeah, and there's an expectation that Memphis will. We'll wait and see. But, yeah, we could – we'll wait and see what happens with the top two players if they end up playing the NCAA tournament. A couple other guys, uh, Duke, once again, outstanding recruiting class. I know there's still an outlier and, uh, you know, a couple players still waiting to make a decision here. Uh, but their class overall, they just picked up Matthew Hurt from Minnesota. What are your thoughts right now? Well, I mean, first of all, anybody, you know, this class at Duke is going to sort of have the unenviable task, Andy, of, you know, following Zion Williamson and R.J. Barrett and Cam Reddish, which, as we know, was a historic class with the top three players in the class in 2018. Um, so, you know, no matter how good they are, they're, they're just not going to be Zion Williamson next year, and they won't have the excitement that Zion and R.J. bring. Um, you know, that said... Coach K, once again, has the number one recruiting class in the country, uh, according to 247 Sports. Um, they're probably going to get Cassius Stanley on Monday out of Sierra Canyon. That'll give them a five-man class. Um, Matthew Hurt, 6'8", 6'9", you know, can score at all three levels. He'll basically be replacing Zion at the power forward position, and he was just recruited by a, you know, a who's who of Blue Bloods, Kentucky, Kansas, Carolina, Duke, and, you know, he chose Duke. So, uh, Duke still has it going on. Yeah, Wendell Moore, Vernon Carey. These names right. become household names next season. No question yeah. about that. A um, couple other names here. I mean, Kentucky's class, uh, Kilo uh, Whitney, uh, Tyrese Maxey. What are your thoughts on what Kentucky's already been able to land? Yeah, I mean, you know, they took a, a grad transfer in Nate Sestina, a big man from Bucknell, which has kind of been Coach Cal's MO here in the last couple of years. You know, he got Reed Travis out of Stanford a year ago, grad transfer. Um, now he takes the Stina to kind of fulfill out his front court because he's going to lose, lose Reed Travis and P.J. Washington. Um, you know, he's going to have a, three really good point guards, Ashton Hagens, uh, Emmanuel Quickly, and Tyrese Maxey. So he'll have to learn how to sort of play them together. 
you know, Hagen's obviously became the, the primary point guard this year. And then he's got a couple of really good wings. And my guy, Khalil Whitney from here, Roseau Catholic. He's the son of Kelly Whitney who played at Seton Hall. We're doing a documentary on him, Andy. I'm going to throw in a little gratuitous plug for a documentary called Year of the Dragon coming out on Khalil Whitney. That's going to be dropping on YouTube. And then also Keon Brooks, uh, a highly regarded wing. So they kind of play the same position also. Plus he's got multiple point guards. So Cal's going to have to, uh, you know, allocate the playing time to make everybody happy there. But, but he's used to doing that. Isaiah Stewart, huge recruit for Mike Hopkins, who obviously recruited well in the Northeast, now at Washington. Uh, what kind of impact do you think he'll have for the Huskies? Yeah, that's a huge get for Mike Hopkins, who obviously knew Isaiah. Isaiah's an upstate New York, uh, you know, Rochester area kid. Mike knew him at Syracuse, got him to go out to Washington. Um, they're also in the mix for Jaden McDaniels, who's a uh, Seattle kid. So if they get both of those guys, They'll have basically two top 10 projected picks in 2020. Um, the NBA guys love Isaiah Stewart's work ethic and motor. You know, he may not be as talented as maybe a James Wiseman or some of the other big guys, but he works harder than anybody. Um, you know, he's a good guy to have on your team, great attitude. So that's a huge get for them. You know, I don't know if you saw this kid. I'm just going to throw this name at you, but the preseason number one team in the country uh, certainly for me, and I'm sure a lot of other people will be Michigan State uh, with Cassius Winston deciding to return. We know Joshua Langford's coming back. They're really only losing uh, Nick Ward in terms of a major impact player, as well as Kenny Goins, who hit the big shot, obviously, to be Duke, but more of a rotation guy. But they did pick up, and they're very high on him, uh, Rocket Watts, uh, who signed with them and could give them another scoring pop uh, on the perimeter. Were you able to see him at all? You know, I did see him a little bit mostly last summer. Um, you know, he did kind of a interesting thing this year, Andy, where he played at Spire Academy in Ohio where uh, LaMelo Ball was, and they were kind of playing on, uh, you know, a peripheral circuit there where a lot of regular high school teams wouldn't play them. Oak Hill and some of the other schools wouldn't play them. So not as many people saw Rocket Watts. But, yeah, he's a 6'2 combo guard. Uh, Michigan State beat out a lot of good schools for him. They also have a kid coming in named Malik Hall. He's a six-seven wing power forward from Sunrise Christian. So, you know, Tom Izzo could get right back to another Final Four. And lastly, Adam, uh, anyone else that you saw the McDonald's game we didn't mention that you think will have a big impact uh, starting in the fall? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, first of all, they're my local guys, but you got to give a shout-out and mention Scotty Lewis, uh, 6'5 wing from the Ranny School in New Jersey, who's going to Florida, and Brian Antoine, 6'4", shooting guard from the Randy School. They won the New Jersey Tournament of Champions title. Brian's going to Villanova. Scotty's going to Florida. Um, Scotty Lewis especially really impressed the NBA guys. Incredible defender, can lock down the other team's best player. He's a great quote. The Florida beat writers are going to love this guy. And Brian Antoine, Villanova doesn't have anyone like him. He's pretty much unstoppable on the open floor, running up and down the court. Plus, he can shoot the three, and Jay Wright is going to have to find a way. He will find a way to play all of his uh, freshmen this year. Adam Zagori, where can everyone find your uh, content? You can check me out at zagsblog.com and on my Twitter, at Adam Zagoria, Andy. And that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365. little teaser to next week's podcast. I'll be joined by new Arkansas head coach Eric Musselman as we continue to take a look at new coaches around the country and hear from them right here on March Madness 365. As always, you can download this podcast wherever you find 
your March Madness social media content. That's on Facebook, that's on Twitter, and of course, wherever you find your podcasts on iTunes, we are there for you, covering the sport all year round. Thanks for listening.